You're so kind. You're always so kind. Hi, everybody. All right. I'm going to grab this stool. Is that all right? I think it says Daddy-O or something on there. Is that, does that say Daddy-O? Okay, I'm going to get myself a little comfortable. Get myself comfortable here a second. Can you all hear me? They got me uh, my... Oh, did my thing fall? Oh, my goodness, it did. I'm, I'm a mess here. I should have you close your eyes and bow your heads so I can put this on, but I'm... Just... See if it, uh, if it go on my belt here. I'm gonna need some help, dear brother. Try not to show my belly when you do this. Here, here, right here behind this guy. Oh, go in the front pocket. It's fine. Okay. All right. So we're. I did all that just to make you laugh. You believe that? Well, uh, how many have had a real busy day today? Anybody here? Let's just get real here, okay? How many we are weary? Anybody weary here or tired? Anybody have any really struggles you're going through at all? Okay, that's what I... I uh, you know what? I mean, you, I guess we'd always find somebody's going to say yes to that. But I'm going to share this with you, and I mean this sincerely. I feel it stronger tonight than normal. And so in order for God to be able to do in our lives what He wants to do, if we don't address that right now, we're never going to be able to just relax and have and experience everything that God wants to do. So let's deal with that. Can we do that together? Because God cares about you. And uh, something that I had to learn the hard way, and, the, and it took a long time, and I'm not saying I'm perfectly there yet, but I learned along the way of ministry that God cares more about us than He does what we're going to do for Him. Did you all hear that? God cares more about you and your life and you as a person, as his son or his daughter. And he cares about your marriage. If you're married, he cares about your marriage. He cares about your kids. He cares about your life way more than any mission that he will give you. Every one of us have a mission. They're all different, but we all have a mission in life. But just remember, He cares more about you individually. Don't ever forget that. And then we as ministry leaders and leaders over leaders, we need to know that too. That we need to make sure we understand that God cares more about your life and that we should care more about you too than what you're going to do. Everyone say amen to that one. And so uh, why don't we ask you, and I know some of you are weird, but let me just ask you to stand for a minute. And I want you to find a group of, uh, let's see, let's do this. uh, Let's do this um, a little different than normal. Smaller group. Let's do two people at a time. Find somebody. Listen to this. Find somebody you've never prayed with before. So you were ready to turn to that. Oh, here. But no, no. Find somebody you've never prayed with before, if you can and uh, and just get in and just kind of come out of the aisle if, uh, if you need to and um, and then and then find just actually go to a, like a private place over in the corner wall or just a little separated place 
and, and, and I don't want anybody to feel uncomfortable, weird or anything, but would you grab somebody else's hand? Just grab them by the hands. Two hands. This is a little tougher for the guys, I know. You're not going to kiss them, okay? If, if you need to sit down because you're too tired or you can't, that's fine too, okay? Now, the first thing we're going to do here, and, and, and I think someone's cheating here. I think we've got three. Where'd you get the cheaters? We, we, we've got an odd person out, right? I, well, that's, that's fair, then you're not cheating. We take that back. All right, here we go. The first thing we're going to do is the ultimate goal of prayer, and we're going to just tell the Lord how much we love Him. So if you haven't told the Lord how much you love Him, let's forget, even though you're holding the hand of a partner there in prayer, right now just focus on the Lord and just express some love to Him with your voice. Raise your voices. Lift your voices. Father, I just pray right now and I just just get along with you right now in my heart, Father. And just tell you how much you mean to me, Dad. Oh, there's no one like you. There never will be. Never could be. No one's been there for me like you have. No one's loved me like you have. No one's believed in me like you have. No one's been there when, when there was no one else but you. And I love you, Dad. And I wrap my arms around you. My arms are small, but I wrap my arms around you and I just tell you that I love you with all of my heart, mind, soul, and strength. I give you my entire life. Dad, I love you. Dad, I love you. In Jesus' name. Okay. Now I want you to pray for the person that you're with right now. And this is what we're going to do. And it's going to take a little bit of trust. But I'm praying that you realize the Holy Spirit is here and we're all going to do this in the fear of God. But I'm going to ask you, and, and it, maybe some of you think, what in the world have I got myself into? And I'm not trying to embarrass anybody or put anybody on the spot. So if you feel that way, I am so sorry. I'm, we're just trying to love on people tonight, okay? But I'd like to ask you to trust the person that you're with for a minute. And I want you to tell them what's going on that you need prayer for. And then would you pledge, please, everybody in this room, do not take this, what you hear, outside of this building. And do not share it with another person. Show yourself trustworthy. Allow somebody to get real. Maybe for the first time in your life, they're gonna, you're going to hear somebody say something and, and you're going to hold on to it. Okay? But I want you to tell the other person with the, the real need in your life right now, which you need them to pray for you. Take, take a moment right now. A little music in the background, somebody, please. Just privately share your need. Oh, by the way, you know what? Hey, listen up. Somebody told me one time, if what you share doesn't make you uncomfortable, then you haven't shared it yet. Oh, oh, we got a response there, did we? We hit a nerve on that one. Okay. Lord, you know I'm a mess. I got so much stuff I need a prayer for.
little more music, please, if you could. That's good. Good. After you share your need, then would you take turns praying over the other person's need? Would you do that? Take a moment and pray and believe for a victory. God's going to give a miracle in the house right now. In the name of Jesus. Lord, I pray for every person here under the sound of my voice. Lord, I pray for a miracle right now in every life, every home, every every single person right now in Jesus' name. I pray physical renewing and refreshing right now. I pray physical healing. I pray that for every impossible situation, we call you in for the impossible. Everything that's impossible in every life that's here, I ask God that you would go and do the impossible. For what is impossible with man is possible with God. Your word says that. And we believe right now for a miracle all over Big Bear. Right now in the name of Jesus. In every home. In every life. In the name of Jesus. Devil, you're a liar. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. 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 <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. The Lord is removing the mountains in your life. Those things that the devil has erected in front of you to keep you from all the fullness of God. They're melting like wax before the fire. They're being cast into the sea. In the name of Jesus, job situations, family situations, physical situations, financial situations, your children, in your family. God's moving in families right now. God's moving in your house. While you're here, God's moving at your house. God's going to every one of your houses right now. In the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Just thank the Lord right now. Just say thank you for what you've done. Thank you in advance, Lord, for what you have done. You are great. You're mighty. We give you praise. We give you glory. We give you honor. And we will tell everybody what you have done. You will get the credit. No one else. No ministry. No man. No one will get the credit except you. In Jesus' name. Now, I want you to give your prayer partner a holy hug. A holy hug. Alright? And then, if, you know, if there's somebody in the room that you don't know who they are, or you don't know them really, really well, will you go over and say hi to them and introduce yourself, please? 
Somebody that in the room that you don't know real well. <laughs> Somebody come up and said hi to me. <laughs> oh, look. Oh, give her my love. Please give her my love. Please. Hallelujah. All right. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Pastor, do you have to do any any other business? Good job, man. Good. Where'd it go, man? Where'd it go? Do, you, do we have a roster of the flock? We have that with us? Oh, man, you guys don't mess around. Wow. How y'all doing? Anybody say better? Anybody doing better? All right. All right. We lost some people here. I don't know how that happened. They don't normally run from me that quickly, okay? Okay. Did, did anybody say hi to somebody they didn't know real well? All right. Way to get that. Isn't that cool? Isn't that neat to do? Hey, is it all right to have fun? Huh? Is it all right to have fun? This should be the coolest, funnest. I mean, seriously, I mean, this is not a cliche. This is not a slogan. This is not some kind of a hyping job. Honestly, when we gather as a family, see, some of you I don't even hardly know real well. Some of you I do know. But what's incredible is we're in this thing called the family of God. And if I've never met you in my life, you are still my brother. You're still my sister. I mean, we're just, we're together. And it's just cool. And it's like I've known you my whole life. Is that okay? And that's why I don't call some of you. But anyway, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> See, Pastor Jeff, how come you never laugh at my jokes like that, brother? I always have to tell them, that was a joke, Pastor Jeff. <laughs> well, we're going to um, share on the leadership commitment to prayer. And, uh, you know, I'm being real nice to you and loving you and all that because I'm going to really let you have it. So it's kind of warming you up for, for it, okay? But pastor said I could just let it fly. But can I ask you, can I let it fly? Can I just tell you like it is? Can I talk to you leader to leader? And if, if somebody's here tonight and you came just to be part of the fellowship and the service, but you're not necessarily in leadership, then... Then I try not to. I'll try not to stare at you, okay? And and, and it, this belongs to everybody else. And uh, I hope you'll at least find something encouraging about it. And uh, ultimately, at the end of this time together, and we're actually going to go for a while, and then we're going to take a little break for a few minutes, and then come back for the for a smaller session. Is that okay to do that? A little break. So instead of doing it all at one time. But uh, my goal is that uh, our goal, or I believe the Lord's goal, everybody look at the door. If that's the door you came in and we're going to go out of, I pray that none of us will go through those doors to go home 
without God first touching us, changing us. We have limited time, folks. We have very limited time left to gather in the harvest. And, you know, uh, I don't know if people talk that way where you're from, but where I come from, we, we are intense. And we're intensely dedicated to filling up heaven and emptying hell. And uh, we are trying to get every single soul out of hell so that they can go spend heaven with us. Now, there are a lot of ministries that are focused on having heaven on earth. I don't know why we'd want to do that when we've got such a short amount of time. We've got so many people that are on their way to hell. So let us focus on getting people out of hell. And then we can spend all of eternity in heaven. So you're looking at someone that's intensely and growing in intensity towards that becoming the vision. So everything that's going to be said tonight, everything we do, every prayer that's ever prayed. How many have ever heard of um, Joy Dawson? Joy Dawson said to me in Washington, D.C., 26 years ago, she said, Brother Ted, if every prayer that you pray or I pray or anyone ever prays, Every one of them do not ultimately impact the lost in some way, then they're not worth the air that we breathe to pray them. That means even when you say, I love you, Jesus, you're lifting the name of Jesus and he is drawing all men to himself. Every prayer that you've ever prayed that glorifies God in any way is causing his name to be lifted up to draw someone somewhere to Christ. Can you even imagine that every time a, a Christian puts their hand on a map of any kind and prays, someone around the world is coming to Christ? You know, I'm just fanatical enough to believe all this stuff. That when you pray, there was a scripture fanatically I grabbed a hold of somewhere that says whenever you pray, if you ask according to His will, you absolutely have what you ask for. Thanks for the amen corner over here. So what does that have to do with leadership? Nothing. I was just excited about prayer. <laughs> Sorry. You'll have to, you know, there was, there was a, believe it or not, there was a literal rabbit. I was in the prayer room. I think it was the prayer room. And uh, a Pastor Ed's boy was in there and there was a rabbit outside. And the pastor said, there's a rabbit outside. And he got up on the couch and looked, right? And so every now and then in here, there's a rabbit that runs by and I'm going to chase it. <laughs> so just hang in there with me. But it was a literal rabbit. Okay. So the liter leadership commitment to prayer. And we're going to focus in three areas. Two primarily and three. Uh, the final one will be just kind of a shorter version. Three areas of the leadership commitment to, to prayer. The first area is the leadership commitment to prayer. And intimacy, to prayer in intimacy. And thank you for taking notes. Look at you all. That's great. Number two, the leadership commitment to prayer in intercession. In intercession. And number three, the leadership commitment to prayer and forgiveness. And that will be the one that we will focus less time on, but we will give it some attention, Lord willing. Father, we want to know 
what a leader in the 21st century looks like. Lord, everything that's been taught to us or modeled for us that we've experienced up till now that does not line up exactly to Your will, to Your Word. We ask that You would do an adjustment in us tonight, a life-changing adjustment tonight. And that we would grow in our understanding of what a leader looks like. A 21st century, in Big Bear Mountain, looks like. The one that pleases you and lives in prayer. Lord, we ask that you would show us what it looks like. Help us to see it. Help us then when we see it, and it's calling out for consecration and dedication and decisions. Help us then, Lord, by your Holy Spirit to make the decision to do it. And that you, by your Holy Spirit, would do it in us. And empower us. Fill us with Yourself. And that every leader at Big Bear Christian Center, whether it be a, a pastor, or whether it be a sound engineer, or whether it be a greeter, or a cell group leader, or a child worker, or just someone that says hello. Someone that cleans the building. That all of us would be real leaders following the example of Christ. Men of prayer. Women of prayer. And it would never be said that the people of Big Bear Christian Center did not have praying leaders. That this happened to them or this happened to them or they never really reached their potential because their leadership didn't pray. That will never be said. Not after tonight. But I pray, Lord, I'm, I'm believing for big things. I wouldn't be here if I didn't believe for big things, Lord. I've seen you do big things. And I take the limitations off of anything you've ever done prior to tonight. We take the limitations off of you right now. And you are an awesome, big, awesome, holy God. And do exceedingly above all that we can ask, think, or imagine tonight. Tonight in us. So that the most prayed for family of God on the mountain would be BBCC after tonight. In the name of Jesus. In Jesus' name. Amen. Number one, intimacy in prayer. I'm going to start by making a statement. This is by Brother Robert Murray McShane. This is by far the most powerful quote that I've ever heard in relationship to prayer and to attending to God by the leader in ever before that I've ever read. And I'm going to read it slowly so that you might be able to write it down if you would like. He said, No amount of service on behalf of the king. And I'm going, to, I'm going to read it through and then I'm going to read it slower for you, okay? 
no amount of service on behalf of the king will ever make up for the neglect of the king himself. Nothing you do, none of your work, nothing will ever, ever meet the criteria and make up for neglecting him. Do you need me to read that slower for anybody to write that down one more time? Okay. No amount of service on behalf of the king will ever make up for the neglect of the king himself. Brother Lawrence, you know, you're going to probably say, why in the world is he quoting him? I think it was like 15th, 16th century monk. And he didn't write a book. He wrote letters to encourage brothers and sisters in Christ. And he lived in the presence of God in such a wonderful way. Continual presence of God. And let me ask you all, just for a moment, just dream for a minute. Is there anybody in the room? Is there anybody that would like to live... 24 7. 24 7. Did you hear that? In the presence of God, where there's never even a moment, even a second, even a moment of time in which you are not fellowshipping with the Holy Spirit. That you could actually be speaking and sharing at a leadership meeting, but inside the Holy Spirit is communing with the Father. That you could be on your job during the day doing exactly what you're called to do and doing it with excellence and yet maintaining, saying, Holy Spirit, you're free to commune with the Lord. That you could be at dinner. You could be in the middle of a situation, a challenging situation. You could be with your family. You could be in a a room filled of people, but it really is just you and the Lord. I'm here to tell you that it is possible. And Brother Lawrence said, there is not in the world, there is not in the world a kind of life more sweet and delightful than that of a continual conversation with God. And he lived in the presence of God. And just his love for God and his desire to stay in the presence of God no matter what caused someone to compile all the letters that he wrote to brothers and sisters and put it in a book called The Practice of the Presence of God. It's 64 pages and it's now a classic and millions of people have that around the world. How'd you like to have your letters that you wrote to your friends? Someone said, where are they? Put them in a book and somehow glorifies God. Just your letters to your friends. Now, I want to share with you in, in, in referring to Robert Murray McShane talking about neglecting the king. I want to talk to you about what's called two tendencies. Write these down. Two tendencies. There's the tendency of the early church and throughout any ministry that I am involved in, you will hear constant references to the early church in every message in every training session. Because when I look back and see what happened from a 10-day prayer meeting 
and the entire Holy Spirit was poured out at the end of that 10 days of praying. And within a matter of months, they evangelized the entire world. And because of what took place, because of this prayer meeting, the power of God was released so strong that everywhere they went and the Holy Spirit fell, it drew people out of darkness into life. And Christians were added to the church. Every day, everywhere they went, they could not build the buildings fast enough. They could not hold on to the people because they responded to the call to prayer by Jesus Christ. And so I believe God is visiting His church again. Jesus has walked into Big Bear Christian Center tonight. And He's in the candlestick of Big Bear. He's in this church tonight. And He's looking to see if we are a house of prayer and whether we will move closer towards prayer, intimacy, and intercession. And whether we give a rip, excuse me, whether we give a rip if the people of Big Bear end up in heaven or not. The early church, the leaders, the leaders now, they had a tendency... This is after the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. This is the out, after the establishment of the early church, Pastor. They're now in government. I mean, church government. Now the church is being built and, and houses are being planted and evangelists and missionaries are being sent out and the, the, the work is expanding. The house of God is being built. I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail again. That's what Jesus is starting to do here after the outpouring because they prayed. But the early church leaders had a tendency, and here's their tendency. They neglected people. They neglected the people to attend to God. That was their tendency. They had a tendency to spend so much time in prayer, so much time with God, that they neglected the people's needs. Now, let me let, tell you about the story that it became such a problem, so big of a problem, that it required an absolute, total, area-wide, church-wide gathering, a meeting to discuss the problem. The crisis, the controversy. What's the controversy? We can't find the pastors. We can't find any of the leaders. Where are the cell group leaders? Where are they? We need them. Where's the leadership? Well, they're in prayer again. Again? Don't they ever come out of prayer? And it got so bad that it was an uproar. And the people demanded a meeting to do something about it. So what was the leadership's response? Did they succumb to the complaints of the people and say, you know what, you're right. We need a more balanced approach. We're going to start cutting down some of our prayer time to make sure we take care of your needs because it can't possibly be right to spend so much time in prayer that we neglect the people. Oh, and haven't you heard to be so heavenly minded you're no earthly good? Well, amen, brother. Did they do that? No, they sure didn't. Why? Because they knew that if they stopped praying, 
all the great power of God that was touching the nations would stop. They would not have the power to go. I'm sorry I'm getting so excited. Try to calm down. They would not have the power to touch Big Bear. Big Bear's got a problem. It needs Jesus. But it needs more Jesus than we have been giving them. How many of you want to see the Spirit of God literally pour over the entire mountain and every man, woman, boy and girl be drawn to Christ? Where they show up, the unbelievers are packed outside of your door asking, what in the world is going on in there? And they just come to hang out to see what in the world is happening inside that building. Now, we know too that the early church, it wasn't about just what happened in the building because what happened in the building was then taken out into the community. And it happened everywhere else. Are you with me? So church isn't just in the building, but it started there, didn't it? Sorry, honey. You, you all don't understand baby knees, but she's actually amening what I've shared. I get excited. But they knew better. They knew better than to stop praying. There's no way you were going to pry them out of prayer. They had a tendency, the tendency to spend time with God, take care of people's needs next. So, what was their response? This is where we got the invention of the deacons. That's where deacons were invented. <laughs> You ever heard it explained that way? That's where deacons were invented. And so these deacons filled with the Holy Ghost. Also people of prayer attended to people's needs. And the work continued on. But somewhere along the way, there was a conspiracy and the devil and the flesh man decided to get prayer out of the leaders. Somewhere along the way, a little chisel this, chisel that along the way, a little bit less, a little bit less. And generation after generation went on until now we have what we have. What do we have now? Almost no leaders praying. Almost no pastors praying. Almost no churches praying. But everybody wants to win the whole world to Christ. Can't figure out why we can't do it. <laughs> Come on, everybody. What is the tendency? So remember I told you there's two tendencies? Here's the tendency of, the, of, of our church. Is it okay? See, I, I, you'll hear me talk. I, there, I'm what's called, I'm not saying that I'm something special or anything weird like that, but there's definitely a reformer call in my life. Ian e. Bounds, anybody ever heard of Ian e. Bounds? Said, the reformer is one who will, with clarion voice, will call the ministry back to her knees. He said that a hundred and some years ago. Or even longer than that, I think it was, actually. And that's what God is doing. He's calling the ministry back to her knees so He can call her back to her power so that He can touch the people at Big Bear. You know? So there's a tendency. The tendency of the, of the current church is to neglect God to take care of man. And we think we're doing the right thing. But the pro there's a problem. We, don't, we wonder then, why, where's the power to take care of men? So we're running around working harder than ever trying to take care of men with no power. 
I'm, that, this message is right in there, everybody. And the good news is, the, the good news is, all over America, rooms like this, we're having rooms like this, guys, in which before we all go out the door, everybody's saying, that's it, I'm done. I'm done doing it the way I used to do. Anybody got a PDA or a schedule of your calendar? Can I? I'm watching. In hundreds of meetings like this all over the United States, I'm watching leaders bring their PDAs, which represent their daily schedule. The daily schedule defines you. It really does. Because you determine. Some of your schedule is determined by your responsibilities. Most is determined by your decision. And your decision on how much you love God, seriously, let's not play around right now. Your decision on really how important God is will be determined in your schedule. You'll be able to look and see it right there. If God's important, you have time for him. If he's not important, you don't. Period. And they're taking their schedules all across this nation and they're lifting him before the Lord saying, Lord, as of tonight, I want you to tell me what you want my day to look like from now on after hearing this. Because I'm never going to be the same. I'm watching churches that are taking their mission statements and rewriting them. Their vision statements and rewriting them. Some of them are taking their own bylaws and rechanging their bylaws to incorporate prayer into any form of leadership. Some are rewriting the job description for pastors and leaders saying that you can't be a leader anymore unless you pray. And, and I'm just watching a revolution, honestly. This message is not new, but the, the, the message is, is resonating. And something of the Holy Spirit is pouring out and touching leaders' lives like I've never seen in all of my entire life. And I believe, I don't mean to be presumptive, presumptive but I believe that God's going to do that with us tonight, including Ted Rose. I was in a hotel room several months ago, and I was going to be speaking at the America's largest Chinese church. Over 10,000 members. And I was on the seventh floor. They have a hotel that's like, they have a relationship there, and their church is right down the road. It's over in the Bay Area. And I was in the seventh floor, and I had an armor bearer with me. Pastor Ed Crespo was with me. And they got us a very, very nice suite there for a good price discount. And we were there, and we were up in the night praying. And somewhere about 2 o'clock in the morning, I think it was, I'm not, please forgive me for not knowing exactly the time. I was walking around in prayer. Pastor Ed was sitting there on the couch. And I was walking around and I said to Lord, Lord, I, I'm asking you tonight, would you move tomorrow greater than you've ever moved in all of my life? Would you touch the people of River of Life like I've never seen Ever before. God, would you do greater? Would you do more? And I begin to say the word more over and over and over and over and over and over. And then I heard God speak to me and say to me, Do you really mean that? I get what? The more part. Oh, yes, Lord. I want you to move more and greater than you ever have. And then he just kind of like, Spiritually speaking, he threw me up against the wall and got in my face. As a loving dad says, okay, I'm going to ask you a question now. You've asked for more of me. Can I have more of you? And then he said to me, 
I'll tell you what, I'll make a deal with you. The, the amount of you that you give me will determine the amount of me that I will give to you to touch the people tomorrow. So everything that's going to take place tomorrow in their life is going to be determined on how much of you're willing to give a me tonight in this room. And I wasn't ready for that. I was not expecting that, folks. And I shared it with Pastor Ed, and we both were, were in the fear of God, and we were moved by the Holy Spirit, and we stayed up, I think we stayed up till 5 o'clock in the morning or something. Kind of. We prayed, you know, almost the whole night. We had to force ourselves to stop. So we'd have at least a t- couple hours or a few hours of some sleep. And I tell you what, something happened in that room. And it was in the level of consecration. God's saying, I, and he got real specific. I mean, it hurt, folks, in a good way, but it hurt. I want this from you. I want that from you. I want more of this from you. I want more of that from you. And, and it was hurting. It was going past my barriers and my comfort zone of where we have been together. And God moved in me, and I've never been the same. And how many have ever had those never been the same moments where you can, you remember you went to a place, maybe a prayer retreat, and part of you died there and never went back home. My wife will tell you that when I went to Prayer Mountain 27 years ago, Dee would would get up and tell you that there's a lot of Ted Rose that never came back from Prayer Mountain. And so God is saying more, and He's challenging us right now, and He's saying, how much of you are you willing to give? Do you really want to touch people? Then how much of you are you willing to give tonight? Let's, let's get some scripture here. Acts chapter 6, verse 4. Acts chapter 6, verse 4. Acts chapter 6, verse 4, is the minister's or the leader's primer for prayer. This is what the the apostles said that they would do as a lifestyle. But we, and, and by the way, this verse is, I break it up into section A and section B for a reason. It starts off by saying, but we will give ourselves Continually. Say the word continually. Continually. To prayer. Okay? That is the first section. That's part A of verse 4 in Acts chapter 6. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer. Part B is, and to the ministry of the word. There's something I believe with all of my heart, very strategic about prayer being the first part of this verse and then segueing into the ministering of the Word. But what has happened also in our church, in our nation now, is that we kind of glanced over part A and have really, really majored on the minor and focused on the second part, which is the ministry of the Word. That has become a high, extremely, folks, high priority in the current ministry of the day in the nation of America. It's really all about the man behind the vision 
his ability to communicate and his particular style and his teaching that if it's good enough, will be so good that it will be heralded and printed and it will cause multitudes of multitudes to come and grow in that church and grow as a, as numerically, and his name will be sent all around the world, all based upon his incredible giftedness and ability to communicate the teaching or the preaching of the Word of God. In fact, we have in our nation probably the most gifted speakers that the world has ever seen before. I'm telling you. Have you ever heard some of them? that are so gifted that when they speak, you want to hear everything they say. Because they're incredibly gifted, folks. God gifted them. And you just like hang on every word. They're just, you can't get enough. In fact, some of them are so good, they could read a Denny's menu and have you in tears. <laughs> but this has been the emphasis of the church. In leadership, how great or how good of a communicator are you? In many ways, that will determine how high you go or how far you go. But these brothers, we, they said, we will give ourselves continually to prayer. And then, out of intimacy with God out of relationship with God, out of time, much time spent in the presence of God, then the Lord will touch our lips. He will put the fire in our hearts. And He will speak through us, thus saith the Lord, and that will transform Big Bear. The word continually, just let's touch on this real quickly. We will give ourselves continually. What does that mean? To adhere to. To be devoted. To be constant. Unrelenting. I know this is fast. I'll get you the notes afterwards of this, okay? Unrelenting. To give care to. They gave care to their prayer life. To continue in a specific place. To persevere. To not faint. To show one's courageousness in. To be constant readiness, like an army ready for war. And number 11, to wait on constantly. Now let me talk about part A and part B for one more moment. I've got news for everybody. How many, well, let me first of all, how many here have ever shared a message, a teaching, it didn't have to be in front of the whole church, but maybe to a group of people. And God gave it to you. And when you spoke it, it was really good. I mean, you're not going to be prideful if you raise your hand, okay? I'm not going to take a picture of you, okay? Unless you raise it real high and get too enthusiastic. But no, I mean, okay, really. Is there anybody here, seriously, that is, you know, you've, as one, uh, one pastor's wife said to her husband, or said to some others about her husband, ready for this pastor? My husband hit it out of the park. Okay, you ever heard that? Anybody here ever hit it out of the park before? Raise your hand, don't be ashamed. Okay, we got some, we've got some home run hitters here. Any, have any of you ever got a word from God that was so incredible? 
You knew it wasn't from you. How many have right in, been right in the middle of speaking and then you start saying stuff? You don't even know where it came from, but it's good and everyone's liking it and you just keep doing it. And you know it's from God. And you feel like saying, Amen, brother. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Okay, a friend of mine wrote a book called Amen All By Myself. <laughs> he's, the, he's the chaplain for the Sacramento Kings. Good friend. But how many have ever done that, right? Well, guess what? And pastor, let me ask you a question. You, you, you've got many of those. Many of those home run hitters. But you've got a few that they're winners. Let's face it. No matter what anybody says, they're winners. Right? Okay. We, want, we don't want to break the Ten Commandments right here in front of everybody. Thanks for saying yes. I've got news for all of us. You know how precious and special and touching and life-changing and all the impact of those messages had on somebody's life? And they have. I'm not discounting the power of the delivery and the preaching and the teaching of the Word of God. I'm not for one moment. But I've got news for all of us. Not one of those messages, not one of those teachings, not one of those series, Pastor, ever ended up in a special bowl in the throne. God never said that that message is so good, go get it. (laughs) Bring it here, I'm going to make a special golden bowl and I'm going to put it right here in the throne and one day I'm going to fill up this golden bowl of messages. And and we're going to pour the messages on the altar. No, they don't get there. They, they, didn't, they weren't important enough to God. They're important. They impacted lives, right? But they didn't meet the criteria. They're not important to store in a golden bowl in the throne. But guess what is in a golden bowl that God made in the throne of God? It's the only bowl that we know of that even exists there. In fact, one day... There will be silence in heaven for all of you biblical scholars in heaven. For the first time in all of known history, biblical history, there will be silence in heaven for 30 minutes. Why? Because something needs to be retrieved and brought and poured out upon the throne. Guess what it is? Every prayer that you and I have ever prayed is stored in a golden bowl of, from God. And one day, even though, for, as far as we know of, through all of history, there has always been continual worship of God. And it's loud. There will be silence. Even that will be silent. Because why? Prayer, bring me my prayers. And the prayers will be poured out upon the golden altar and be mixed with incense. It will go before the nostrils of God. And then and only then will God pour out the judgment upon the earth. Why do we spend and emphasize on something that is not going to go into a bowl? Can we not see the importance of prayer in this story? Can we not see that the church was birthed out of a prayer meeting? Can we not see that it was sustained by continual prayer? 
the power of God was continued to pour out through the church in relationship to their decision making as leaders. We must attend to God rather than man. Amen. I wrote in here, sermons don't go to heaven. Dogs do. You've seen the movie, haven't you? Dog dogs go to heaven. Oh man. Are you all taking good care of your puppy? Okay. Prayer. This is what Oswald Chambers said about prayer, and you probably heard this before, Pastor. Prayer does not fit us for the greater work. Prayer is the greater work. It's not about just getting fit and ready. It's about spending time with God. Let's talk about prayer for a minute. What is prayer? What is prayer, everybody? It's spending time in the presence of God. It's not a department in the church. We've departmentized it. And the intercessors are just the very, very few among us that found out what true Christianity is about. Because Jesus said men, all men, ought always to pray and not faint. Every believer at Big Bear Christian Center is supposed to live in a continual state of prayer. Did you know that? Has anybody ever told you that? It's true. That's not just for the weird people that don't have nothing else to do. It's not for the old ladies who now have retired. Prayer is for everybody. To say that prayer isn't for everybody is to say God is not for everybody. God wants to be close to you. He fills you. But imagine being filled with God and then having no time for God. Imagine that. Think of that for a minute. Come and fill me, take my life, me, my Lord and my Savior, but I have no time for you each day. What? What kind of a gospel are we preaching? Folks, Here we go. Ready? Say, oh my. How are we doing? Oh boy. You thought it was going to get easier too. See, I'm not talking to, the, to just anybody tonight. I'm talking to the leaders. See, the leadership is fantastic. It's incredible. It's amazing. Wonderful. What an opportunity that he allows us to, to, to become leaders, Pastor. Unbelievable. He says, you desire the office, office of a bishop, you desire a good thing, good job, great desire. Pat you, on one, pat you on the back, good deal, good way to go. But then say, oh, by the way, here's the list. This is all that you got to do, by the way. Welcome to the club called leadership. Now you're all required to do things nobody else is required to do called leadership. And so I'm not talking to you tonight as just someone, part of the, this ministry, but you are someone who God has singled out and you have followed the call, the birthing, the desire, the unction of the Holy Spirit within you. It says, I want to do more. I want to love people. I want to love people. I've been so loved by God, I want others to feel it too. And I want others to grow in Christ as someone laid down their life to help me grow. Now it's my turn to help others. Amen? And here we are. 
But the bar is higher for us than it is everyone else, and it should be. Matthew chapter 7, verse 22 is a verse that I want to talk about, and you'll probably never ever hear this verse mentioned in a normal leadership gathering. I would guess to say that you've never heard any other leadership teaching even touch on this. Because most people view this verse so far outside of any true godly leadership, they wouldn't even know that it's directed towards them. But it is. Matthew chapter 7, verse 22, the words of read, Jesus speaking, saying, Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? Do you remember the group of people that were over there ministering? They were using the name of Jesus and they were ministering with his name. But, and the disciples came and they, he said, leave them alone. Remember that? Leave them alone. They're not against us, right? Leave them alone. This ain't that group. This is another group. These weren't that far off like they were. Because if you study, if you really study the Greek here, you'll see what I'm talking about. But here we go. They said, have we not prophesied in thy name? Now, the type of prophesying they're talking about is accurate, gifted prophecy. From a spirit of prophecy. They were accurate. They had a gift. They had the anointing. They had a prophetic mantle. And they were prophesying, thus saith the Lord. They weren't prophesying out of their soul or out of their flesh or out of their head or from the enemy. They were prophesying under the anointing of God. And the prophetic word went forth and caused fruit in people's lives. And they were reminding him of it. Have we not released the prophetic gift with your anointing and it changed lives? Sure you have, he says. Go on. And in thy name have we not cast out devils? These are deliverance ministers, folks. Anybody here cast out a devil before? Out of somebody? Raise your hand. May I recommend don't try it unless you know what in the world you're doing? Yeah. This, this group here, they understood the anointing, Pastor. They knew the power of God. They knew the authority of God. And when they cast out devils, devils left. That was no picnic, folks. Okay. I've got a special appointment waiting for me when I get home. How would you like to know this is waiting for you when you get home? I got a call. A member of a church of 4,000 called the prayer leader and the pastor. And there's furniture moving in, the, in their house. I mean, seriously, stuff is flying around the room, folks. So my, my wonderful welcome home is to take a prayer team over to that house. And we don't do this every weekend or anything, okay? But we're heading over to that house and do... Pray this lady into victory and keep the furniture where it should be. <laughs> Until the devil to leave. These people knew how to do that. They, they, in fact, uh, certain demons, if you don't fast and pray, you end up naked. Not because you want to be. In front of everybody. You know the story. Well, they, were, they were effective. Man, brother, this is a good ministry, brother. 
They've got the prophetic mantle. The devil, get out of there. It's going, you know. This is, this is the real deal here. Oh, last little part. And in thy name have we done many wonderful works. Study the Greek. You'll find they had a huge ministry. They were the biggest church in town. They were one of the biggest ministries in the country. It means that they did many wonderful things. He didn't say that we did many bad things. They did wonderful works. It, it was effective. Do you understand? From the outward eye, this is hot, prophetic, casting out devils, building a large, effective, wonderful ministry. Do you see it? But then, what happens? It all goes down real quick. But verse 23, Then I will profess unto them, who? The leaders. Not to the people that got ministered to, but to the leaders. He's going to talk to the leaders. There's going to be a leadership meeting in heaven. And at that leadership meeting in heaven, everything we've ever done is going to be tried. And if it was right, it was good, it's going to be like jewels and diamonds and gold. But if it's not, it's going to burn up right before our eyes. And everyone in the whole world is going to see it, Pastor. Somebody said that there are no tears in heaven. That's not true. There are tears in heaven. He said he would wipe the tears away. So why are they there in the first place? Because there's going to come a moment in which all of our works are judged. Our prayer life, as someone said, I think it was Leonard Ravenhill, said, Oh, what a horrible day it will be when the record of heaven is read and our prayer life is exposed before all men. You can fool me. You can fool the leaders. You can fool others. But you can't fool God. Make no mistake, our prayer life will be read before the Lord. And then He will come, and we will realize, but then He will come because of His grace and His mercy and His incredible love. And He will take, and He will wipe those tears away. And then the rest of our time with Him will be spent according to our position in Him. Only God understands and fully understands the ramification of that. He says then I will profess unto them, I never knew you. Did he know who these people were? Yes. When they called upon him and ministered for him, did he see their works? Did he anoint them and use them? Yes, he did. Then why does he say, I never knew you? This is where we come to a weakness in the English language. And we must take a look and see the Greek. And the Greek exposes a word that has nothing to do with the way I say I knew somebody. It is the Greek word, gnosko. Would you say that word with me? Gnosko. The Greek word gnosko, in the Jewish idiom, And I'd like to mention that I'm going to share something that's sensitive and tender. And I'm going to appeal to everyone's maturity here in the room, if you don't mind. 
And I'm going to share some because it means something that's somewhat tender. But it's the ultimate, in the Jewish idiom, it is the ultimate. I mean, the ultimate expression, the ultimate intensity expression of intercourse between a man and a woman. And it has a connotation to it of being prolonged intimacy. He's saying, when you came before someone that needed a prophetic word in order to be able to be affected to move forward in their life, I, for the moment, anointed you and gave you the prophetic in order to help that person. Because I love that person. When you came to someone that was being demonized by demons, I went ahead and flowed through you to touch that person that I loved that needed the demons cast out. And then I wanted to fill up heaven and empty hell, so I used you to build a large, wonderful ministry. But there's only one problem. Everything you did, you did without spending time with me. You never had time for me. You had time to minister to people. You had time to stand up in front of people. But you never took the time to be intimate with me. You and I never had anything for real. You didn't have time. You're too busy. You told everybody you're too busy. And thus, we never had Gnosko. Every one of us needs Gnosko every day. With the Lord. And as we conclude this session, I want to close with this. In any form of leadership, especially pastoral leadership, may I say this? Especially. But I know as cell group leaders as well, we're here to help. We're, help. We're here to lead. We're here to serve. We're here to guide. We're here to love. We're here to whatever. We're here to be Jesus. All we can to people. But in that process, sometimes there comes a time in which someone under our leadership in ministry, if you understand the word under our leadership, they, for whatever reason, get out of priority order. And we all understand biblical priority order. What is it? God first. Family second. Am I doing okay? Church, I call it last. Not third. Last. You know why last? Because it keeps the priority. It makes a point. God first. Family second. Church last. I'm not underscoring it. In a negative way, but we know the priority. And what happens as leaders? What is our job, Pastor? We know we do it all the time. We do it. We've done it for years. When someone, anyone, even on our leadership team, or even in our own family, or anyone in, under any form of leadership that where we are serving them, watching over, as the Bible says, watching over the souls of man, knowing we're going to have to give an account. What does it mean to give an account? That's that meeting for leadership I told you about. 
It's the accountability meeting. If someone gets out of proper priority order, what's our job? We all know it. Well, the first thing we do, if we, if we know how to do leadership right, is we pray for them. We don't just run over there and start directing them and guiding them. We pray for them first, right? Sometimes God will just do that right out of You won't have to even say anything. They'll just get into priority order because God will speak to them privately. But sometimes that doesn't work. It's time to be God's voice. And then we lovingly, and we do it tenderly, and we do it with the fear of God, because we don't want to hurt nobody. Right? So we pray and ask God to give us a moment, an opening, to somehow say it in the right way. We're not trying to offend people. We just simply want to help people. But we end up having that conversation, if necessary, where we say, brother or sister or whatever, I've got to say something to you. You know, I love you, but, but the truth is, it seems like I see that you're starting to lose perspective on the priority order here. I see you're putting ministry ahead of your family. You know? And then we have to, we step in and we and hopefully encourage them and they make the adjustment, pray over them and they move, make the adjustment and off we go. How, let's, let's get real for a minute. How many of us have ever got out of priority order? I'm raising my hand first. Okay, everybody else who wants to tell the truth can raise their hand here. <laughs> okay, we all have. We've all needed somebody. They come into our life. That's why we have, we, every, even pastors need a pastor. Right? And so, that's, I got something for you. Ready? You probably haven't heard this one before. I'm not trying to be tricky. But you probably haven't heard this before. Are we in agreement that as leaders, that's part of our responsibility, helping people stay in priority order? Ready for this? Do you know the, the leader that doesn't pray? Is an in priority order. We're running around telling everybody they're out of priority order and God's not even first in our life. How can we say God is, remember, God, family, and the ministry? Last. But we don't have time to pray and we still think we're God's first? Are you kidding me? No, He isn't. You just say that. But He's not really. If He is, your time will reflect it. Your time will reflect it. Not your money. God, you know, we all know what the responsibility of, of giving, but He wants you. Would you rather, would, would, would you, uh, if you were God, would you rather have $100 or time with, some, with the person you love? He wants us. More than anything else, kids, they don't, they want us. They just want, sometimes they're starving to spend time with us. God's starving to spend time with you. But then we got this other thing where the devil's telling us how scumballs we are. Why would God want to hang out with us? We don't like us. He probably doesn't either. But he does. You rock your, his world. I'm not kidding. How can everybody be the apple of his eye? They are. We just got to see us the way he sees us. Through the blood. Wow. Closing this moment of intimacy. We focused a lot of time on intimacy. There's no question. 
Pastor uh, or Brother Ian Bounce also said the church is looking for better methods. God is looking for better men. By the way, this is not male thing. This is gender neutral. Okay. Church is looking for better methods. God is looking for better men. The Holy Ghost does not flow through methods, but through men. He didn't flow out into the room for the method in the upper room. He flowed out upon people. Right? He does not come on machinery, but on men. He does not anoint plans. But men. Who does He anoint? Men of prayer. Let's bow our heads. Then we're going to take a break, a few minutes, and come back for the conclusion. Is that all right, everyone? Father, we bow our hearts. We want to gnosko you. We want you to be first for real. Forget the ministry. Forget the people right now. Forget what you want to do through us. Right now, it's all about you and us. We just surrender. We lay our hearts right now in your hands. We ask that you would rearrange our schedules, rearrange our life, rearrange our priorities, turn our TVs off, turn our computers off, turn off anything that's more important than you. We don't want to, we don't want to build a ministry and end up where you say we never spent time together alone. It's not going to happen. Not for one person in this place. Not one. Not one of you. That's never going to be said of you. He's never going to say, I never gnosko'd you. You all now know what gnosko is and you're all going to do it. Nothing stopping you. Nothing holding you back. No one can stop you from, from having gnosko with God. Nobody. Father, we thank you. We need your Holy Spirit to help us. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's take a break, everybody. We'll come back in a few minutes, okay? Everybody in the first session. Y'all still here? Did anybody encouraged? I hope and pray. I really do with all my heart. I, I just love y'all and just want you to get so blessed. I really do. I really do. Now we're going to talk about number two, intercession. The leadership commitment to prayer and intimacy. We talked about that. Now we're talking about the leadership commitment to prayer and intercession. How many have ever heard of W.A. Criswell? Criswell, Pastor Criswell. He's gone to be on with, go to be with the Lord. He was a pastor out of Texas, and he's a, a lot of people do not know who he is, uh, sometimes in, especially in the charismatic Pentecostal community. But he was a very revered and a very, very awesome uh, man of God. And uh, he made a statement about leadership that stood out to me. Whenever somebody says the first priority of something, how many know that's trying to make a point? He said, the, the first priority of the leader, should we have started without pastor? We should wait for pastor for a minute. Let's wait for pastor. I don't want to get in trouble. <laughs> You haven't seen him privately. <laughs> what a friend, huh? 
What a friend. Just kidding. Come on. Silly. You silly goose. Anybody know where Pastor is? He's what? Yeah, he's in a prayer meeting. Attending to God. Boy, he got me on that one. Oh, man. We need to have a meeting. We need some deacons. No, I'm kidding. Come on up, brother. I was starting, and then I realized that you weren't here, and I thought, I know what you did to me last time, and I won't, don't want that to happen ever again. So, here. so we're, we're talking about... And by the way, we all gave in the offering. It's your turn. I'm teasing. <laughs> The truth is that, as far as we're not doing any of that tonight, right? Yeah. See, I mean, I share this with you all that um, that tonight is a gift. It's a sowing into your life. There will not be an offering taken in the back, suggested. Why? Because we're not here for that. We're here. Why? Because we just want more of God. That's why I'm here. So intercession, we're on number two. And I was sharing, I was starting with W.A. Criswell. He said his, his most powerful statement on the priority of the leader is this. The first priority of the leader is to pray for and be concerned for the welfare of your flock. Doesn't get more plainer than that, does it? The first priority of the leader is to pray for not second. This is a man that spent all these years in ministry, renowned and, and revered by ministers all around the world. And he, at the end of conclusion of it, he says, the number one priority, guys, gals, is to pray for the flock and be concerned about them. That's it. And then he says this, the key to the rest of our life and ministry now he's given us the key to our life and ministry will be the investment of prayer we make in the life of others. Another author said, there is no greater privilege in all the world than to lift someone into the love and the presence of God through intercession. Pastor John Welch, over a hundred years ago, I might have shared this story before, but I just love this story. Illustrates a, a real praying pastor. A praying pastor. At night, he would go to bed, and this is before there were emails and phones. He would go to bed every night and always had the blanket at the foot of the bed. A special blanket waiting for him. His wife would doze off. As soon as she dozed off, he crawled out of the bed. Found himself at the foot of the bed crawled up and began to travail and weep and sob and wail and cry and pray over his bed. Found himself at the foot of the bed, crawled up and began to travail and weep and sob and wail and cry and pray over his flock. He did this every night. This was his pattern of prayer. Prayed through the day, prayed in the morning, but then he prayed through the night. How did he do that? I don't know. 
I know people that live in prayer. And every one of them have been used by God to do great things. And, and you know, and, and I, I'm not trying to throw names out there, but I, if I told you like Mama Choi, mother-in-law, Dr. Cho, Armin Gesswein, a friend of mine, and, and did you know Armin too? A friend of pastors. The, the man of prayer for Billy Graham, Reinhard Bonnke's intercessor, Suzette Hatting. And it just go on and on and on. All these intercessors. These, a lot of them are women. Because women tend to be humble and more dependent upon God than men do. Men just tend to sometimes do it on their own or try. That's why we have more women in the prayer ministry normally. But all of them sacrificed their life and, and they lived in prayer. And some of them, you know, Donald Trump lives on four or five hours a day of sleep. Building an empire. Did you know that's his average sleeping time? Anybody know that? Yeah, he averages four to five hours a night of sleep to build a world financial empire. Where are the Christians that are willing to give up sleep? You remember the disciples laying there? Jesus is bleeding. It's coming out as, I'm sweating tonight, but you don't see blood. When Jesus prayed, he sweated like a pig. Excuse me. He sweated all over the place when he prayed. That's the kind of prayer he was. You ever see some people pray and they never sweat? Something's wrong with that prayer. Jesus did not do that. It said, and being an agonized, he prayed more earnestly. And it started, he started sweating everywhere and it was dropping on the ground. And then, the, the, and then out of the glands was blood. The first blood that flowed through Jesus' body was not on the cross. It was in Gethsemane as he prayed. Folks, that was the first shedding of the blood in prayer. And while he was shedding blood through his pores on his body, sweating, dropping, my soul's exceeding sorrow unto death. Guys, pray for me if I ever needed you. It's right now. They fell asleep. He even said their eyes became heavy. Right? says that right there. So they love sleep. More than they love God. More than they love prayer. Well, guess what happens So, There's a maturing and there's somewhere along the way from the, the sleeping disciple to the anointed apostle. Those same guys that in Jesus' moment of need, bleeding, sweating, describing, becoming vulnerable for the first time in his entire ministry, they fell asleep. Over and over he'd wake them up. Over and over he'd... And he'd tell them, watch and pray. Don't enter into temptation. He's saying, if you don't pray, you're going to fall into temptation. Don't you understand? That's why I have to pray. Does anybody in the room think that Jesus would ever have been able to accomplish His mission on earth if He had not spent time with His Father in prayer? And neither will we. You will never. Pastor will never. None of us will see the vision of the Lord until we spend time with God and call upon God so God can move. And so he laid there. He'd call. He'd cry out to God. And his wife would complain. You can't blame her. What does a wife want the husband to do? Come and lay with me and, and cuddle with me. Right? Who would want... Your husband on the floor crying and travailing all night long. Every night. Well, you go to Prayer Mountain. 
You go to Prayer Mountain, guess what? When you sleep, you, it's never silent. You know what goes on at Prayer Mountain? 24 hours a day, you hear the sound of heaven. There's thousands of intercessors all over the mountain crying out to God day and night. There's never been silence in over 40 years. Did you know that? Have you ever slept to that? I've slept to that. I went to bed hearing the sound of heaven, hearing thousands of intercessors crying all night. And guess what? Sometimes I got to be the sound. I got to lift my voice so someone else could rest hearing the sound of heaven coming from Brother Rose. And they come from all over the world. And thus, the largest church in the history of the world, the biggest, the biggest missionary movement in all of history is taking place. What a coincidence. I'm sorry, I'm chasing the rabbits again. So his wife would complain and, and he would say, and it's a historical record, what he would respond to her back. He, she would complain that he would cry all night and he would say, Oh, woman. Not old woman. Oh, woman. <laughs> not stupid, okay? I have, and this is what he would say. It's a historical record. In his diary, I have the souls of 3,000 to answer for. And I don't, this is in the middle of the night he's saying this, and I don't know how it is with them. I don't know how it is with many of them. I must hold them up before the Lord in prayer. That's leadership. That's leadership. You're not a leader because you're gifted or you're skilled or you know or you have abilities or 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 you're smarter or, or come on. You're a leader because God wants to pour his love through you and the greatest way to do that whether you have any talent, skill or anything with all of your disabilities or anything else you possess, God will use you if you will be like this a, a Jesus in their life and pray for them. Let's stop playing leadership. Let's stop playing church. Let's all just do this real deal here. Huh? Paul Bilheimer's destined for the throne said a church without an intelligent, well-organized, systematic prayer program is simply operating a religious treadmill. It is doing little or no damage to Satan's kingdom. Luke 22, 31, 32. I'm going to go quickly. Can you all hang in there with me? 21, 31, and 32. The Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you. How did he know that? How did Jesus know that Satan wanted Peter? Word of knowledge? No. He spent time with his father in Gnosko. Every day. Every morning he spent time in prayer. Everywhere he went he was in prayer. Every night he closed in prayer. He had prayer retreats, prayer meetings, prayer seminars. Someone described the life of prayer. You probably heard this be shared this before. Someone described the life of Christ this way. He went from prayer meeting to prayer meeting. In between, he performed miracles and preached the word. That's the life of Christ. How did we read about Jesus' life as a leader and see it's all through intimacy and prayer with his father? And then somehow think that we can be in any kind of leadership and not be like Him. We somehow, I don't know how we read the New Testament and just erased things regarding our focus on prayer. 
But he said, Simon, Satan hath desired to have you as we. So he goes to Simon and he says, God told me, because I spend time in Gnosko and alone with him, and I pray over the flock, you're my flock. And when I was praying, God told me that Satan wants you. You've been targeted. You've been singled out. And then it says, and he desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. Now he describes the strategy. Not only am I telling you that, that the devil wants you, but I'm telling you now, this is the strategy. He's going to do a sifting strategy. Which is, we know the Bible says he's like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Study this, this, the, the strategy of a lion. And you will see they come in multiple directions to confuse the herd, to get the herd separated. Because they can't take on the herd, folks. Hello. They can't take on the herd, but they can take a single one. Right? So, but they got to get one singled out, sifted out of the herd, so they could take him out. And this, he's saying, I not only know that he wants you, I not only know how he's going to get, try to get you, but I want you to know something. Don't worry about it, because I have prayed for thee, past tense. He already had a prayer meeting before this conversation. Listen, I love you so much that when you're not around, I ask God what's going on with you. He tells me when the devil's after you. He tells me how he's going to try to get you. And then I love you so much, I spend time in my house, on my knees, when I'm alone, praying, doing all this battle for you so that you can be victorious. There is preemptive prayer and reactive prayer. Preemptive prayer and reactive prayer. Write that down. Reactive prayer is, is godly prayer. And it's when you find out somebody's in trouble and you react to it. We should do that. Right? Get a phone call. There's an emergency over so-and-so's. We all should pray. Right, everybody? But this kind of prayer that Jesus did is a better, higher, more form, rare form of prayer that, that exists. It's called preemptive prayer. This is where before the phone call, before the email, before the life blown up in the house, before the couple exploded, before the man went out and did something to injure the whole family. Come on, everybody. This is Jesus in the life of Peter preempting the attack of the devil and, and stopping it before it happens. This is the rarest form of prayer in the church today. Most of the Peters in our life, or, and the Paulas, Peters and the Paulas, don't have a Jesus that's taking time to Gnosko with God, praying over the flock that they've been called to be leader over, and asking God, how is it going with them? Is there anybody that's under my leadership that I need to pray for right now? Lord, please make me sensitive. Show me who. Show me how. Tell me. I'm available not to pray for me, not for me to get blessed and my ministry grow. I'm here right now for Bobby. Billy. No one knows I'm here. I'm not going to tell nobody I'm here. I might tell Bobby or Billy if you tell me to. To warn them. But who do you want me to give up this night of prayer for? Who? Who? Who out there that needs God? We prayed for pastors on the way here today. On our, on our telephone, I text message as many pastors as I could today to tell them I was praying for them. I try to do that every Saturday. 
Saturday is when most pastors are in their final preparation, right? And many churches now, on Friday nights they have service on Saturday night because they get so many people and they run out of buildings and all kinds of things are going on in terms of how it all works. So, so it's moved from Saturday to multiple days now. But Fridays have always been all these years. I mean, give me Saturdays, the, the day of prayer for pastors in particular because this is the final day of preparation. Take your flock. Where's the picture of the people? Picture in the roster. This is the roster of the people of this church to the best of our ability to get their names on here. Everyone connected with, with the church is here and everybody that we have a picture for. See these people? Precious people, aren't they? I'm not going to go through all of them, but I just want to make a point here, please. Wow. You think God wants to do something with that, brother? Come on. Wow. Huh? Look at, all, look at the love of Jesus in these people. You know, I pray, uh, and I'm not trying to... You know, I just really want to set an example, if, if it's okay, by saying this. But I pray now for over 500-some pastors by name every day. Dee and I pray over 100-and-some names of our family members by name every day. We pray over 227 nations by name every day and 470 towns and cities in the state of California by name every day. It takes a long time to do that. I've got to be honest with you. Most of my time praying for pastors, though, is weeping. I just weep. And I say thank you for these, for these guys and gals that are willing to become pastors. They're insane. Why in the world would you want to be a pastor? Something must be wrong with you. Thank you for doing it. Thank you. Thank you for saying yes. Every day, thank you for saying yes to the call of God on your life, my friend, my brother. And so I weep over them. I thank the Lord for them. Hold up a shield about them. These are precious people. These people deserve to be prayed for. They deserve to be... These, the Peters and the Paulists on here. That the devil's going to try to single out. Take them out. Destroy their life, their families. Turn them away from God. That's what he's trying to do. They deserve a Jesus in their life that says, I will pray for you. We need a systematic way to do this. We need to break these up into names. Every person in your cell group, every person into the area of responsibility of your ministry, you need to write their names down, get pictures of them. Somehow. I don't mean to be intrusive. But then you need to faithfully go before the Lord every day and pray over them. Not just lead them in public, but lead them in prayer when they don't even see it, nobody sees it. Here we go. Ready? Pray for the flock before they become bloody prayer requests. Preemptive prayer. Pray for the flock after they become bloody prayer requests. Reactive prayer. I know that's kind of weird, but it makes a point. Number three, teach them to pray. Make disciples out of everybody in your leadership. Teach them to pray. Most people don't know how to pray. Teach them what Billy Graham says. The most powerful prayer is in all the world. You know what he said? He said the most powerful prayer how many know when Billy Graham says something that's kind of cool? 
People like it, especially the Baptists. But he said the most powerful prayer in all the world is, ready? Help! He says he doesn't need your King James English. A simple sigh or a cry for help will do. But teach them how to pray. You know? Make disciples out of an prayer. Number, th- number four, pray every time you call somebody. Every time you pick up the phone and call somebody in the church or somebody you know. Say, can I close in prayer? And you don't have to pray an hour. Just close in prayer. You're building in a lifestyle of prayer. You're, you're an awareness of God's presence on the line. God's ready to move in every situation. Don't talk about all the problems and say, oh, yeah, we need to send, we need, probably need to be praying about this. I've got to go now. Give some time to prayer. You'll let, teach them that God is God wants the impossible. All the possible we can do. God wants you to invite Him to all the impossible. That's what He specializes in. Huh? Okay, here we go. Pray every time you get together. So every time you call somebody, pray. Every time you get together, pray. Teach them how to pray, right? And then pray over every single aspect, every single part of the ministry of the church. Are we doing okay, everybody? Keep trying to hurry here. The six must of the leader's prayer life. Ready? The six must. Here we go. Number one, must be a priority. That means before everything. When you wake up in the morning, the first thing you do is don't say, Hi, honey. Hi, baby. No, 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 no. You say, Good morning, Jesus. Good morning, Lord. Let him be the first person you if you, he's the first person you talk to, I know this, some of you might think that's corny, I don't know. But if he's the first one you say hello to, he'll like that, isn't he? I really appreciate you doing that. My I love my wife, bro. Twenty nine years of marriage. I love my wife so much. She's on her face right now, travailing over our bed for you. We have two thousand intercessors praying for this gathering right now. Around the world. It went out a long time ago. But she's praying. Where was I? What's she saying? Oh yeah, I love my wife. Boy, I was saying about her, and I thought I forgot about everything. <laughs> the truth is, though, I, I love her, but I tell her, and she knows that I, she knows this with this where this statement comes from. She doesn't resent it. But I love God more, and I love my wife, and I love my wife, but I love God more. I love God more than each one of my kids, and I love my kids. Anybody ever had to go through the do you love the kids or God more moment in your life? Anybody ever, God ever work on you on that one? He has with D and I. I love him more than the ministry. I love him more than anybody. I love everybody. But I love him more. He's number one, not number two. He's number one. So he gets the first talk in the morning. In fact, we've kind of gone a little overboard. And you probably think this is silly and ridiculous. It's all right. It works for us. I refuse to talk to men until I first talk with God because I've learned if I haven't first spent time with God, I have nothing to say to man. So everybody in the house knows don't talk to dad. In the and next, I'm, don't get me. I'm not ridiculous unless it's an emergency. Don't talk to dad till he's talked to God because I found out when I spend time with him, I have so much more to say to somebody that will change a life. So I encourage you. Your appointment, listen to this, your appointment with God is absolutely essential. You have to set an appointment. 
God wants an appointment, a specific time with you and Him. I'm not talking about praying without ceasing. We gotta do that too. I'm not talking about praying for intercession over it. I'm talking about time with just you and Him. Okay, by the way, and let's, let's, let's be, let's be real here. Sex between a man and a woman is done in closed doors. With no clothes on. Don't have gnosko in front of somebody. That means you've got to take time. You've got to go in the room and close the door. That's why Jesus says when you pray, enter into your closet and close the door and lock the door. <laughs> he says when you pray, not if you pray, when you pray. It must be a priority. So when you wake up tomorrow, every, this, the, the proof of the pudding of tonight will be determined tomorrow in the morning. Number two, it must be consistent. I won't focus on that. I'm going to go real quickly. Number three, it must be unhurried. No token prayer. One pastor said, pastor 50-some years said, don't pray fast, but fast and pray. Number four, it must be thorough, comprehensive, detailed, prayerless, names. Spend some time at it. Why do I spend a long time in prayer? Because there's so much to pray for, not because I'm trying to impress somebody. Be comprehensive and detailed. Some of you are very, very comprehensive and detailed in other areas. It should be that way too in prayer. Number five, it must be two-way. It's not just you talking. It's you talking and listening. God wants to talk. He talks more than most people realize. Who does He talk to? He talks to those that take the time and to spend time with Him in prayer. Those are the ones He talks to. You don't have time for Him, He won't talk to you. Because you're too much in a hurry. He'll talk to somebody that will make time for Him. Or He won't talk at all. Number six, it must be full of love. All of your prayer must be from a foundation of love. This is the intercession. The leader's prayer life, intercession, must be a priority, consistent, unhurried, thorough, two-way, and it must be absolutely saturated, filled with, covered with love. Because God is love. God's not, if love's not in your prayer, then you're not praying God prayer. Because everything is. And remember, the prayer, when you pray, you're before a throne. The, the throne has a name. It's called the throne of grace. And that reminds, of us, reminds all of us of His great love for us. Plus our great need for His grace. So we can't pray judgmental prayers for anybody when we're staring at a throne called grace. <laughs> right? Alright, finally, closing. Forgiveness. Here we go. Forgiveness. Just going to touch on this for a moment. Someone said, your suffering is an invitation to the greater anointing. Your suffering is an invitation to the greater anointing. If you're going to be in any form of leadership, you're going to get hurt. Welcome to the club. Seriously. How many, how many have ever been hurt in leadership? Many times. How many have been hurt in this church in leadership? Come on, come on. Let's get real. How many have been hurt in the last church? The one before that? I'll hold my hand up as long as you do. Okay? It's just part of it. Leadership, when you become a leader, you become a target. By the enemy and by others. Others have problems. They don't even know they have problems. And they don't even know why they're targeting you. So they target you just because they, they're available to be used sometimes. Unknowingly, they're just looking to be healed. They don't know how. 
So they become targets in the meantime. Or they become people that will hurt you. There's probably somebody in this room that hurt you. If you, the pastor hasn't hurt you yet, he will. One day he's going to just, you're going to say, Hi, pastor, and he's going to walk right by you. Because he didn't see you. He was thinking about something. He was looking about somebody over. He didn't see you. But you thought he walked right by me, didn't he? He didn't call me. He didn't thank me. He didn't recognize me. He recognized everybody but me. I don't like his decision. That was wrong. It was wrong. He made a mistake. Maybe he made, is he going to make a mistake? Is he, was he, is he going to make mistakes? Anybody? So he's going to hurt you. Everybody here is going to hurt you at some time. So maybe you've already hurt each other. We all get hurt. If I took this shirt off, spiritually speaking, you would not want to be Ted Rose. People think because I love pastors and I have so many pastors in my life that I, have, I was born with a silver spoon in my mouth for pastors. I want you to know I haven't. D and I have been hurt by pastors more than most people alive. Like you won't believe. Ever since we were little boys and girls in the church. We've been raised in a church all of our life. We've been, I've watched pastor, minister, evangelist, missionary after, for years come up here under the unbelievable anointing of God where the power of God flowed like you would never believe. I'm not kidding. I grew up falling asleep in the hay of A.E. Allen meetings. Do you understand that? And, and then there were times when they would come out of the, they would leave the anointed place. And they would walk around to the aisle. There's a long walk from the aisle to the anointed place for some of them. Because they were, they were godly here and the devil there. They were loving and beautiful here, mean there. There's a little boy go up to a pastor or go up to a minister that I just heard speak like I've never heard him speak in all my life. And as a little boy, got up enough gumption to, to go up and hi. And have them just look at me and give me a dirty look and walk away. That happened so many times. It's unbelievable. Unbelievable. Grab the briefcase, get the offering, head out. I used to ask mom and dad, what's, what's going on? I, all my life, I, growing up, I asked, what's, what's wrong with these people? And let me ask you a question. Are you, a, I hope this is okay, y'all. Doing okay so far? Put your seatbelt on for this one. This is the grand finale, okay? Are you a in spite of or are you a because of? What does that mean? Well, when I was a little boy and I'd see these guys, I used to ask my mom and dad, what's wrong with these guys? Because they would be one way and just, some of them would just be mean, some of them would just be sinful. Unbelievable. Stuff come out of their mouths. There's also great ones. Don't get all discouraged. Okay? We focus on the bad, okay? Let's, we do do that. And I used to say to my mom and dad, what's, what's going on? How could God use them so greatly? And then, and, God, and then they would tell me, God loves the people. So God will use them and flow through them in spite of who they are. In spite of their relationship with God. God will use them because God wants to. Remember we talked about the people that didn't go God, but the people, ministry was still taking place. These are the ones right here. And, I, and I, as a little boy, I made up a prayer. I know it's, it's, not, it's probably silly, 
But I made up a prayer as a little boy. And I said, Lord, please don't ever let me. Because I knew I was called to the ministry as a little boy. I started preaching when I was a little five. And I, I remember saying, Lord, please don't ever let me because, become an in spite of. I want to be a because of. Don't ever let me. I used, to, I used to beg God. Oh, my goodness. I begged the Lord. Do not let the anointing stay on my life if I'm not walking with you. Don't let it happen. Shut it all down. Let everyone see it's gone to protect me from ever getting to that spot, please. And I've prayed for, I'm not perfect, but I have prayed and begged and asked God that everything that would take place in the ministry would because, be because of my intimacy and relationship and intercession with Him. It would be an outflow. So the question is, are you a because of your relationship and your intimacy, or are you an in spite of? Is He using you? Are you the donkey that He's riding through and you think you're a limo? The donkey was very proud of himself. He had no idea it was a donkey. But we all are going to get hurt. And we're going to get hurt a lot. And we have to process that hurt godly. We have to process it properly. That will determine whether the anointing continues to flow in us. And the Lord lived it out right there. People def defying him. People are attacking him. People, uh, his closest uh, uh, disciples turning on him. He just loved, 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 loved and forgave all the way through. Here we go. Have you ever heard this, sa this saying, living with the saints above, oh, what a glory. Living with the saints below, well, that's another story. Here we go. We're going to do a real fast, a little quick test in this. Ready? Anybody good at tests? Here we go. Young man, Dr. He waved his head. Good job, brother. All right, here we go. This is the test. How do you know that you've totally forgiven? How do you know? Here we go. Number one. We're all going to take the test together. Here we go. You know you've totally forgiven if you do not tell anyone anymore what they have done. If you're telling anybody what somebody did to you, guess what? Number one indicator, you haven't really totally forgiven. Because you're telling the story still. Yeah, we're all in trouble on these, these seven, trust me. The reason why we tell people because we want to punish them. Really, deep inside. We want to punish those people by getting people on our side. Now, listen, if it's historic enough, if, I mean, if the, if the injury is so big and so bad and so terrible, it's recommended that you do tell one person. But that person has to be uninvolved. If you're telling that person because they know that person so that you can get them in your team about that person, then that's not the person. So you have to tell somebody uninvolved. But sometimes, I'm not saying for everything. I'm just saying for the really big hits. It's good to talk to one person and walk that out in accountability and process that out. Are you with me, right, Pastor? But other than that, we don't, we don't tell anybody no more. Because we don't want to punish them again. We forgave them. So why would we want to tell anybody? 
Number two, real quick, you won't let them be afraid of you. All this is from the story of Joseph and his brothers. You won't let them be afraid if you've totally forgiven them. Number three, you won't let them feel guilty. You know what they did. It was their fault. They hurt you. They were totally wrong. But guess what? You can tell nobody. Not going to let them be afraid of you. Not going to let them feel guilty. Number four, you won't. You let them save face. Even though they don't deserve it. But none of us deserve any forgiveness. At all. So even though they didn't deserve it, neither do we. Number five, you protect them. Here they are doing this to you. But you protect them from their darkest secret. Your baby's doing so good. Bless you. Number six. Tell her I could use an amen every now and then. Oh, please. Number six. Total forgiveness is a lifetime sentence. Lifetime. You, when you forgive, you, it, it has to be a lifestyle, continual lifestyle. You live in a state of forgiveness. Anybody hurts you, you know that that's going to mess you up. You know what you got to do. You let it go. You don't talk about it. You don't share it. It's, it's like it never happened. You let it go. You forgive it. Lifetime sentence. Number seven. How do you know you've totally forgiven? You bless them. And I don't mean bless them, Lord. <laughs> I mean, Lord, I mean bless them more than you bless me. Oh, try that one. Uh, two weeks ago, I won't tell you the church, but a church uh, in the Sacramento region. We were in the middle of sharing this. I shared it really quick. They, just, they had another church coming in to, to use their facilities. And one of the pastors on staff was sitting in the back where the lady is with her hat. She's sitting right in that chair. And we, were, and we had everybody that needed someone to forgive somebody raise their hand. They all did. And then I was just praying a simple prayer, leading us all into that forgiveness prayer. And all of a sudden, there was an eruption, an explosion of emotion. A year ago, his wife left him for another man. And he, had, he was faithful. A wonderful brother. Oh, man. God will just love him. She's out of her mind. But she left him. For one year, he's been faithful. Everybody loves him. He exploded in emotion. It was an eruption. I've never seen it bigger. And 30 or 40 people in the building just rushed over to him. You've never seen so much love poured on one person in all of your life. It was as if, as if all of them were, were in the same pain he was in, loving him. It was so beautiful. How many have ever had that moment where you carried a thousand pounds of unforgiveness towards somebody and then God came and you, and you just kind of dealt with you in some moment and all of a sudden it got lifted and you thought, oh my goodness. I've been there many times, actually, multiple times. But, boy, they're significant. I remember each one. And it, it really, they're testimonies to the power of God and the Holy Spirit, aren't they? 
Because we all know we couldn't do it. But when we said yes, the Holy Spirit then come and did the work. And it was, let's face it, that was powerful, huh? So I want to ask everybody a question with the head bowed, head bowed, eyes closed. Thank you, everybody. Thank you for this opportunity and this honor to stand before you tonight as leaders and to try to encourage you and bless you. Try to describe in, in, in just some new detail the praying life of a leader, what it really means to lead people, what it means to walk with God, what it means to walk in forgiveness. Is there anyone here, and I'm standing first, is there anyone here that by standing on the count of three would say that, that based on this test, there's somebody that we need to forgive? On the count of three, if, if that's you and you want to forgive with me, I'm standing first. Would you stand and let's forgive together? Number one, two, three. Please stand if you have someone that you want to forgive. Bless you. Bless you. Without um, making a scene, I want everyone to look and see Pastor standing. The reason I say this, would you all look over Pastor for a minute? The reason why I say this is whenever you have the leader of a ministry stand up, you have a good leader. i I just tell you that right now. I'm, without fail, whenever the leader stood, I always know that's a good leader of the house. Because you can't be the, the senior leader without getting hurt. It's impossible. And it's a minefield of trying to live and navigating the forgiveness. And so, would the rest of you stand together with, with all of us? If you're able to, if you're too tired and your legs are... No, I understand that. No problem, okay? Now think about those people that you need to forgive. It might be one person. It might be several. Just think about them a minute. I'm doing that. your hands or just close your eyes father we bring to you the people that we are here to forgive right now based on this test we can tell that there's still some level of forgiveness that we need to do and we thank you for your word we thank you for your power your holy spirit lord we thank you that you forgave us first of all we didn't deserve it none of us have we've we're all sinners We've all sinned and come short. But you have forgiven us and we're cleansed and we're purified and we're holy. And we are perfect in you because of the blood of Jesus Christ. But now, Lord, we want to make sure that we forgive others as you have forgiven us. And so we lift these precious people to you right now. We call them precious even though we need to forgive them. They're precious to you. And so we lift them before you right now in the name of Jesus. 
And we offer them to you and we choose. And in the name of Jesus, if you all can, do you have a little music back there, brother, please? If you can, just lift them before the Lord right now. Lift, lift and just say their name quietly or privately to the Lord. We lift these precious people to you right now. We we just say we or you said that we're to forgive them. You've already forgiven them, but it's our job to forgive. And so we do our part right now. We just say, Lord, we're willing to forgive them. We do. But now we need you to come and do your part, Lord. We need the help of the Holy Spirit now to lift this load of unforgiveness off of us and set us free and to set them free. We choose to forgive them. We're not going to tell anybody anymore ever again what they've done. We're never going to let them be afraid of us. We're never going to let them feel guilty. We're going to let them save face. We're going to protect them from their darkest secret. And we're going to forgive them forever. We're never going to grab this back. We're never going to bring it up. We're never going to go grab a hold of it again. And now we pray that you will bless them. Bless them more than you bless us. Bless them beyond anything they deserve or ever can imagine. Because that's who you are. We pray for them right now in the name of Jesus. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Would you all now grab your planners? You can sit down. Just one last second. Grab your planners. Where's mine? Brother Rose, get his planner. My life is not big. It's about this tall. Small life. Ready? Lift up your planner. If you don't have one, fake it. You know, grab a piece of paper. Lift your wife or something. I don't know. Just something as a symbol. Some, something as a symbol. Your hand. And just say, Lord, I don't, you don't have to do this out loud, just in your heart. Lord, we offer our schedules to you. Based on what we've heard tonight, we can tell we need to make an arrangement. We, there needs to be a change in our schedule. Starting tonight when we go home. Starting in the morning and tomorrow. But we're going to be praying His church on the mountain. Not to try to compete, but we just want to please you. We're going to spend time with you in Gnosko. We're going to pray for and be concerned for the flock. And we're going to intercede for them because we don't know how it goes with them. And we're going to, we're going to offer ourselves to you to pray for them before their needs. Before they're attacked then we're also going to be there afterwards. Because that will happen too. We're going to be a praying leadership. We're going to pray for our pastor. We're going to pray for each one in this room. We're going to pray for all the cell groups. We're going to pray for this whole city, this whole region. We're going to pray for the other churches and their ministries. And God will bless them. And, and just reach this entire Lord, area for you and then help us, Lord, to continue to take the message of, of the cross to the nations of the world. 
Lord, I ask tonight for a special prayer for this church. I pray that Big Bear Christian Center would be the epicenter of a move of God, of the fire of God, of the house of God, of the love of God. I pray that other churches would be blessed because of this church. It already is. And I pray for each one here tonight under the sound of my voice. I pray for the mantle of prayer to be upon you in a great, great way. If you've prayed in the past, God's calling you to come back. If you've never prayed, God says start. If you've been praying faithfully, God says go further. In Jesus' name, I pray over each one of you. In Jesus' name, amen. And real fast, this is my third closing. Ready? This, I I think, sometimes helps people. Because sometimes as preachers and teachers, we get real clinical in our attempt to share the, the gospel. This is more of a practical thing. Can I do this real fast? The typical day in the life of the ministry leader. Would you like to hear that? Anybody want to hear what it looks like? I mean, I'm not God here or anything. I'm just trying to help out. Here we go. The typical day in the life of the ministry leader. This is the one that has a job that goes to in the morning on Mondays too. Is that all right? Because that's where most people can relate. If you don't have a job, then you're really in trouble. You ought to see the one I do for that one. Okay, here we go. Typical day in the life of the ministry leader. First of all, they woke up in the middle of the night. They didn't even make it to the day. God woke them up in the middle of the night to pray for their church and write, and they wrote down some notes and impressions they got from God. That was in the middle of the night. Number two, when getting up in the morning to go about my day, this is a diary, I made sure to talk to God first before speaking to anyone else in the house. Then I went to the people's picture that I have on my wall of the people under my ministry. And I laid hands on them and prayed for them. Then I made breakfast. But before I ate, I prayed for my pastor. And I felt the need to pray for his strength. Number five, or excuse me, number four. I drove to work. On the way to work, I worshiped God and prayed for my pastor and others and those under the area of my responsibility. Number five, during work, I thought of my friends that I'm serving several times a day and asked God to refresh them throughout the day. Number six, went to lunch with a friend. I led the pre-meal prayer and I prayed for my pastor. You guys think I'm nuts now, don't you? Okay, going on. Number seven, at work for the rest of the day, worked really, really hard. And I prayed for the people as I thought of them that are in my ministry. Number eight, I drove home from work and worshiped God along with a worship CD. And I just blessed my pastor, my church, my church family, and my family. Number nine, I got home late, ate dinner, but I made sure before I ate dinner to pray for my pastor. After eating, I prayed for the anointing and protection of God to be on the leadership. Number 10, before going to bed. You're saying, this guy's nuts. But anyway, before going to bed, I looked over the vision of the church that had been given to me. 
And I prayed for each of my pastors. I prayed for everyone in leadership in the church. And I waited on God to hear His voice. Then I spent time alone with intimacy with God. As I concluded my prayer that night, I prayed especially for the families of the church. I thank the Lord for giving me such a wonderful church family. In fact, I was so excited, I decided to write a little note to my pastor to encourage him and put a stamp on it to go out to tomorrow's mail. Went to bed. Was woken up in the middle of the night. There were a couple people that I'm serving in ministry and I felt the need to pray over them and God showed me the areas to pray for. The typical day of a ministry leader. That is just called prayer. Men ought always to pray and not faint. That men ought to pray without ceasing. It's integrating prayer just in your... Remember I started this whole thing by saying to you all, is there anyone here that would like to walk in a continual conversation, a continual presence of God, a never-ending moment? Do you realize, I don't want to sound weird to you, do you realize the whole time that I've shared tonight I've been praying for you? Father, thank you for this night. Please forgive me for being late. Bless them all, Lord, so deeply. I pray that it will just be life-changing for each one of us. I know just looking at them. Everyone in you here, I want you to know something. Just looking at you while I'm sharing tonight, man, you guys just pour love. I see God's love. I feel God's love. I see your love for one another. Couples hugging one another. It's just, it just, just beautiful. I bless you all.